stepping into another week of podcasting, you're listening to The Geek Whisperers. My name is John Mark Troyer. And I'm Amy Lewis. And I'm Matt Brender. And we are indeed a thrice blessed because we have with us once again uh, the incredible and fabulous Mr. Greg Nierman. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse, though, but <laughs> I'm here. I was trying to spin it positively. Well, uh, uh, Greg and Amy, you're there at Cisco Live in San Diego. How is it so far? I guess it's just starting. Just getting started. Um, a lot of good energy. You know, it's not every day you go to a keynote by a known keynoter who is announcing officially and in person his retirement. It was a, a really long round of applause. It's, a, I don't know, just a lot of a lot of interesting stuff going on here. A, a lot, lot of storage vendors. <laughs> a lot of tears. A lot of tears. It's a big transition thing. And not, not, yeah, not just storage tears. <laughs> <laughs> big crocodile tears of storage. T-E-A-R-S-N. I think it was Chambers that was crying. Well, it's a big transition. It's a big transition. Well, hey, so we, Greg, we're really happy to have you on. Greg Nierman, for folks that don't know him, uh, is a, an evangel- technology evangelist or technology evangelist or just evangelist? Uh, technology evangelist. I like to use those two words together. Okay. So people don't mistake him for the, that is a, a Bible. As a Bible beating evangelist. Exactly. For Hitachi Data Systems. Greg has been on the show twice before. Once when we talked about the title of evangelist and what his job role was. And once when we had our yearly review uh, for which uh, (laughs) Greg and company uh, gave us our grade. I I guess we passed. But today, Greg, we wanted to have you on again because uh, we want to talk about a couple of different things. We haven't had you on since we kind of switched the tone of our interviews to talk more about careers and career decisions and how people got where they got. So we wanted to kind of start with that. And then maybe we'll talk about the title of technology evangelist, industry trends, what you're seeing. I mean, you do, uh, for folks that don't know, Greg and company does uh, the fabulous uh, podcast uh, Speaking in Tech, uh, which is found on the register. So we'll link to that in the show notes if you are not aware of it. Um, and Greg's podcast and business treating you well these days? Uh, well, it, I don't know if I call it a business. It's <laughs> Make, making as much money as we are. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it, you know, podcasting is great. And, and it's one of those kind of things that – and we'll probably get into some more kind of career choices uh, down the road in this conversation. But it, right off the bat, the whole reason I got involved with podcasting to start off with was a lot of these conversations we were having at conferences over at a bar. And Mark Farley and I, by chance, happened to be uh, talking about some some great things going on in the industry. I'm like, we should be recording this stuff. This is some good good content. And uh, Farley laughed it off until I followed up with him a week later and said, okay, I'm ready to do this. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's kind of how this one started too. Um, well, Greg, let's, let's start with your career a little bit. You are now, at, like we said, at, at Hitachi Data Systems, big company. You have a funny title, technology evangelist. But you know, without kind of recreating your whole resume, how did you get started in this tech business? So right out of college, or actually when I was starting graduate school, I was working for Ernst & Young and uh, on the corporate side of things, not, not in the field, and really got into some of the very cool software application development that we were doing. Um, some of it was custom. Some of it was, was uh, uh, off the shelf. Uh, so I got exposure to a lot of different technologies very early on. Um, but Ian Y, at the time, I live in Cleveland. At the time, they had split headquarters in Cleveland and New York. I was asked to, to move to New York, and that was I, I did it for one week and said, this, "This Cleveland boy, New York, New York, and trains and stuff that doesn't that doesn't work for me." So uh, I jumped over to a company called IoTech, 
which is not in the storage industry or networking or uh, they do uh, uh, what's called data acquisition software technology. Ford uses the technology to, to measure vibrations of the cars and stuff like that. <laughs> so one of the guys that was an executive there had an, uh, kind of a side company that his son was running called Kai Corporation, which was a storage var. And uh, he loved the work that I was doing there. And he's like, hey, you got a lot of great ideas. You know, what if we apply some of those to a small business? What do you think? And, and so I kind of jumped at it because uh, I wasn't – the data acquisition industry is great if you're into that sort of thing. But it wasn't – it's kind of dry for me. So uh, – Is anybody I, really into data acquisition? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if, if, interestingly enough, with, with the Internet of Things now, that's going to be the, the that's hot – actually very true. The hot I was, field. I was going to say but back uh, then, the, the federal government has been really into data acquisition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But are they sellers or buyers in that <laughs> equation? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I took the leap with, with John Thome Sr. and Jr. and went to Kai Corporation and really get immersed myself in enterprise tech from there. We grew, grew the business in a couple different directions. We weren't just a storage company. We were a networking company and, uh, and compute uh, to a large extent. So it was great. Uh, do you think that some of your interest was your interest in technology always there, or yes. was okay? So it wasn't just a matter of the business in some ways drove you into new, or did did the business drive you into new corners of that interest, if, if you will? Well, I think just dumb luck and opportunity, right? I mean, I was working with a guy who, who whose son was running a business that he owned. Uh, it actually has a rich history in Cleveland. They, they they were spun out privately from Case Western Reserve, so they weren't always a var. They were actually uh, development technologies that. Um, and became part of computer logics. So and this goes back to the late 60s, early 70s. That's how the roots of the company. But that small piece of it spun out to focus on backup and, and eventually storage. But it was dumb luck to, to, to work with the Thomes, um, and it was a great exposure for me to, in, in all facets of the industry. And uh, also the, the experience of just running a small business. Um, it, it, it was a very good experience. Well, hey, so Greg... Uh, for, well, for folks that don't know, uh, Avar is a value-added reseller. So you resold equipment and or software, it did some consulting. How long were you there at Kai Corporation and how did you see the business change? It seemed like it seems like it's a different – this is a conversation for a different day and a different podcast. But if the people who are just selling hardware with the advent of the cloud and things like that, it seems like the, the, the job of the VAR and the and – the, Profit margins, frankly, of, of a VAR have changed over the past maybe two decades. Yeah. But I'm kind of curious how you saw it when you were there. Well, it absolutely is changing. I mean, there is that, that traditional box pusher um, and software pusher um, mentality that, that, that a lot of VARs have. We were fortunate enough that early on, um, John and his team realized that we needed to beef up our services business. And so I think we we're a little bit ahead of the curve on, on I wouldn't call us a, a managed service provider per se, but uh, it certainly is going in that direction. And I think a lot of the smart VARs are moving in that direction because you're right, John, the industry has completely changed in the channel. And the value isn't necessarily in the hardware and the software as much as it is in the services um, and the unique engineering capabilities that companies like Kai and others have. And that's really what the resources the, – uh, it's not the commodity hardware or, or software that everybody can sell. It really is the, the expertise and the engineers that you have. Well, I, I find two things pretty interesting. I, I think from the career standpoint, you decided to stay 
with uh, kind of a smaller location, right? Like you, you made the most of being in Cleveland because, because New York, right? Uh, New York is New York and it's not for everyone. And uh, you found opportunities there. Um, but there's also been a theme on the Geek Whispers in the last few months of, you know, is your career planned or is it spontaneous or accidental even? And uh, you're definitely weighing on the accidental side. Well, I, I, I'm a big believer that you create your own luck too. And I think with things that um, – because I am very fortunate and very lucky. And I, I wish I could say it was – my career moves have been deliberate, but they really haven't. I would say doing things like podcasting and being involved in the industry, which as we all know, isn't that difficult to get engaged with. This isn't like a big walled community that, that you have to um, you know, jump over hurdles or pass a test to be a part of. Anybody can do it. Um, I think you just it just takes a little bit of a bit of initiative, and it doesn't have to be. Does it? It could be blogging, podcasting. It could, there's all kinds of ways of being part of this larger community. But I would attribute that trying to engage and be a part of that community helped breed the uh, the luck and good fortune that I've had career wise. Hmm. So, Greg, what what was your role at at Kai? Corporation, and I'm asking because I'm wondering at what point did you think of yourself as a technologist? Because certainly, you know, that's your title now. So, how did that transition happen? Well, it, it's interesting because my role going into it was was more marketing focused, but um, I was also directly I wasn't a commissioned salesperson, but I was directly involved in all the major accounts that we had. I was very very passionate to make sure that we were exceeding expectations in our in our largest accounts. And uh, and I also wasn't afraid to jump on a plane. So we had you know big accounts in California and Florida, and other places. And I was I only you know quickly volunteered to do that um, because it was important uh, that we maintain that visibility in front of the customer. And I I got, was pretty good at doing presentations as well. So I would kind of overlay our, our sales and engineering team uh, from that respect. Um, but my role going into it was was more marketing focused. It just kind of evolved. Over time, um. mm-hmm. well, it's interesting that that eventually here on the Geek Whispers, we're we're just going to have like a, a list of twenty seven different themes that we hit on, and we're just going to be like that was number fourteen and number six, because uh, <laughs> what I took away from that was uh, one passionate. You, you gave a crap, right? We we hit that over and over again. The people we talk to who have had career success give a shit, right? You can't fake it. No, and it's hard too because you've got to get on planes, and that's you know that sounds glamorous, but it's not. You know, and you have to stay up late, and all. I mean, it doesn't mean you have to work eighty hours a week, but you have to care. Yeah. The other piece is, um, yeah, and I think I don't know if this is a theme or not, but you kind of have to be, to be a technology marketer. You have to be a little bit of a technologist, or at least you can't be scared of it, right? right. I don't know, a- Amy. I'm, I'm not too wrong on that, right? No, this is where I like to rant about, you know, it's, we're not selling toothpaste and I'll even, I'll even go further. I think you have to have curiosity about it. I also think that, I mean, I've encountered people who seem to be at odds. They, they do, they're in technology, if you will, in the broad scheme. Um, but it's, 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 they're clock punchers, right? Not interested in what the product is. And I think as a consequence, you end up not being interested in the people who are involved with it. And I think that is the death knell, actually, because I think people can read that sort of distance you have from the product and from the people. Because, yes, in the end, we have the hardware, software debate, whatever. In the end, we are an industry born of intellectual property. And to have uh, to be disconnected, um, I, I don't think it's sustainable. 
No, well, it may be sustainable from a headcount perspective, if, if, but when it comes time to cut headcount, well, <laughs> if, if, if you're the clock puncher, you're, you're going to be punching the clock for the last time. Fair point. Well, well another thing that we've often heard is if, if you're going to get a new job, you better actually be pretty good at your existing job. So, yeah. uh, so not, not necessarily leaving, uh, being asked to leave, but if you uh, initiate the leaving. So, hey, Greg, I wanted to ask then, you made a shift from uh, the channel uh, reseller side over into the vendor side. Now, you didn't have to move to California or Japan. Uh, <laughs> with, to work with Hitachi, but and I was, was careful to discuss that in, in, in the uh, the interview process. I, it was something I was not, and I'm not married to Cleveland. I like Cleveland because you, you can leave live reasonably well um, uh, at, a, at an efficient cost. Let's put it that way. Dude, and ca- I'm jealous in California, <laughs> it, you know, especially if you move from the Midwest to California, is is a big leap. And so it was something we discussed. Uh, during the interview process, and everybody was comfortable with that HDS, all of our, none of our executives are in California. They're in Denver, Boston, Dallas, New York. So uh, the environment was well suited to, to work remotely, which I wasn't completely comfortable with at first. But I got after about six months, I got used to it. No, you have to have the culture that supports it, and you have to have a team that that is able to communicate like that. I have. Worked for teams where that just wasn't going to be feasible, just because we didn't didn't have our crap together and <laughs> needed to talk over the cue ball. And, and thing too, when I worked at Ernst and Young, I had some had built up some biases about people and what it was like to work from home, and I was always scared that if I was if I ever had to work from home, I'd miss the meetings where decisions were being made that my input couldn't be included in that, and it just never felt real comfortable. About working remotely, HDS is completely different in that respect, and in, in that so many people do work remotely that you are just as efficient. Nice. And so then, um, was it a big jump to go over into the vendor side? Uh, no, for me it was not. I think for uh, a lot of people it could be. I was. I had a lot of good friendships at HDS before I came over there. Um, Quite a few of the, the executive team there, uh, Sims here, Michael Hay, and, and other Marianne Gallo. Um, I was all I, w- I would consider them uh, not just industry friends, but truly friends with them. Um, well before I came over there, so to me it was a very natural fit. I think they were more concerned for me if I would be a cultural fit there than I was about that. I, I didn't worry about the culture at all. And like I think they. Oh, go ahead. And Greg, uh, you're not just a cultural fit. You're their evangelist. You're HDS's kind of go-to person for for public face in many ways. Um, it's it's always a a title we discuss here about you know the longevity of evangelism. John already alluded to that. So, uh, what's your year or year plus in review of being an evangelist for an international company? <laughs> You know, I'm not so keen on the title. I think as I as I once was, and not that I'm, I'm not in a urge to go change my title or anything like that. Um, but I think the term evangelist has been a bit abused. Um, I think every company has an evangelist now, of varying qualities and, and, and degrees. Um, and I, I I I think that there's a perception 
with the term, and this is, could be me. I'd be interested in your feedback. There's, I think there's a perception with the team that, or um, the perception out there that an evangelist does dog and pony shows, mm. and um, it really it ultimately comes down to the person and how good they are telling the story, how well they understand their own technology, that other things. But I think because there's so many people doing it now, it's kind of a generic. It's become, especially in America, has become much more generic. There's nothing special about being an evangelist. There's nothing unique that talks to your qualifications to speak to a subject uh, with the term. And um, I don't know what I would change it to if I had the, you know, was thinking about. I think I, I could probably change change my title if I wanted to, but I, you know, it, it doesn't work against me. So I, I, it just a lot of this stuff is just in my head. <laughs> this is the way I think sure. about the. Sure. title see somebody you know and then of course now when i meet somebody that says hey i'm a tech evangelist for so-and-so i'm always like super skeptical what do you know <laughs> <laughs> that's so, so funny perfect. you're weighing them out you're like well i mean do you have the skills that i think i have for the job um <laughs> it's always been that's a the, it's always it's been like a point of contention it's the self-loathing evangelist. You yeah. you transform Matt as a self-loathing marketer. So Nearman's just outed himself as a self-loathing evangelist. Well, I, I don't know if you remember from a past episode, but John's like, oh, yeah, Matt, he's a developer evangelist. I'm like, advocate, advocate, damn it. <laughs> I'm not, advocate. Yeah, and, and it's just because I, I feel the same hesitance that you do, uh, Greg, that the, the phrase is used very wishy-washy and I don't want to presume what it means. Um, it, but, yeah, um, it, well, it doesn't really mean anything, right? I mean, I guess I, w- I would like to think that people make a judgment about me on the quality of my work, not on the title that I have. But I don't – for people that have never met me before, though, all they have to work on is he's this tech evangelist that works for HDS. Right. And yeah. I don't know what kind of impression that leaves. Well, uh, do you think evangelist is going to be – a, um, a short-lived title in our industry? Do you think it's going to die out? No, I think it's actually going to grow. I, I think that, that guys that were talk, calling themselves marketers or <laughs> SEs, you know, will become evangelists. Well, didn't it, didn't it start back with Apple? Wasn't, wasn't Guy Kawasaki one of the first evangelists? He was, and I think Microsoft adopted it pretty aggressively as well. I mean, Microsoft's got, I think, a thousand or more people with the technology evangelist title. It's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. So, yeah, but I think Guy Kawasaki was the first. And for the life of me, he, he could be a brilliant guy, but I, I, didn't, I don't know what he did at Apple that was so genius. <laughs> kind of, I mean, I, 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 have nothing against, <laughs> I, I have nothing against the guy. I just, you know, I, 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 when he was there, I barely remember him being part of things. So maybe it, He it, might have worked in education or something like that. I don't know. It was a different time, different era. I, I think the phrase is always interesting, right? Like I, our title is supposed to be a representation of the skills we bring to the table. And as we transition into this world where technological aptitude is met with social aptitude, that there's a gap right now in how you express that in a coherent, cohesive yeah. way. I think evangelist has been the default, but uh, I think we're all agreeing that it's kind of reaching its ends and there might be other sort of uh, phrases that we use to bring up that same sort of skill set. I think that's happened a little bit to the role of CTO. Chief technology officer used to mean something at a company. It it meant that you were a core decision maker of your company around the technology decisions they were making. Or if you were a CTO for a vendor, you you were key influencers of the product they were bringing to market. And if you look around the the vendor landscape, I mean, CTOs are a dime a dozen. And I think that – I mean, that's an abused title. That used to be like a really great title. You, you were a chief of something, a CTO. You had a seat at the table. 
I, my personal opinion is I think the title CTO has been so diluted, um, especially on the vendor side. On the vendor side of that, is, as we all know, their CTOs are a dime a dozen. It does, the title doesn't mean anything anymore. And I think that's kind of where we're at with Tech Evangelist. I think this is an interesting concept and, and something to ta- take to a broader concept that, uh, forgive me for the haters who don't like this term, but I think it's on point. Um, the more people have something, the less you want it. So it, it's kind of intriguing here if you're saying that sort it's of – kind of true. It, 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 you're no longer an evangelist. You're no longer a unicorn. You're a workhorse. Yeah, I need to find a new ti- – what, what, Amy, give me a title. <laughs> I, I think I'm interested. I know this is a little bit um, – uh, just esoteric, but in the evolution of titles over time, because I think Greg, you hit on something in saying it, we use these kind of collective ways of talking about ourselves and the work we do just to have a shorthand. So we have some way of communicating. So the org chart has some function meaning. So like you said, so the CTO has some meaning you want it to have some meaning. Right. Um, and I think that's interesting in both, uh, in both regards, when you say the more people have CTO, if they're a dime a dozen, the more people, who have evangelists, the less it, it means. Does it mean you become just another SE, just another whatever, fill in the blank? If it's a generic job role, does anyone on this podcast want that? Are we all seeking the outside edge? Ask the director of influence marketing. Totally guilty. <laughs> so, for, for, for what it's worth, I added hack to my Twitter bio. So I got that going for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Greg, how do you feel about the word advocate? Are you an in, are you a technologist advocate? I think advocate's a fair word to describe it. I I don't know advocate. Who doesn't advocate a, for their job? It's kind of a, I'm, I'm going to call myself out on this. It's just as bullshitty. It just happens <laughs> Wait. to be uh, something that's it doesn't immediately jump to the same conclusions you get when you look at evangelist because it hasn't been as overused yet. Matt, does that mean you and Greg have the same job title? Effectively. Maybe. I bet we have significantly different roles when we think about the size of our organization and the target audience and like where we fit in the org chart. I bet we really don't have the same job, but um, but I'm also just assuming that I, I have start no freaking idea there. what you do. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody says. Yeah, well, I, I can't figure out if you guys are both assistant regional managers or assistants to the regional manager. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually an office joke. But um Hey, Greg, so one thing that is interesting about your role is that you are not exactly 100% field-facing. You're not on the road giving dog and pony shows. You actually are working with the executive team and working with the strategy team and working with the product team. And that I thought in office of the CTO team and things like that. I, I thought that was really interesting that you were given – I mean all these – you are a little bit of a unicorn. They made the role kind of precisely – uh, for you, and you made it, and you 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 kind of wrote your own job description as we as we discussed. But I mean, that's been really interesting. From a, I think it's interesting both from a from an HDS culture perspective and also from a job role perspective. Is in order for you to be an effective evangelist, you've actually got to be part of the the. Uh, the I, I'm, well, I'm struggling with the word inner circle, but you know what I mean. You, you've got to interface with the executives. Well, I, I give Marianne Gallo a lot of credit for that. I think Marianne had the foresight when I came aboard. That's my boss at, at HDS. I think when I came on board, Marianne had the foresight to make sure that I was well-networked within the company so that I could be uh, uh, 
be an effective resource, not just through marketing and communications, but uh, across uh, engineering as well. And I developed, well, Michael Hay was, uh, was, a, was our VP of engineering. He, I had known Michael for years before I came on board with HDS. So as soon as I came on board, Michael was, was immediately, I was tied to the hip with him. And Michael has, has, has really included me um, on a lot of those things. He runs our Office of Technology Planning, which does our two- to five-year roadmap. And we do things like uh, we have a strategic planning console uh, that his team runs. And so I've gotten involved uh, in those activities. And I don't think that was necessarily by design of the job. Um, I think it was just a kind of an evolution of my role. And that's a great example, John. I think that's where you're going at is that doesn't really – evangelism doesn't really kind of encapsulate – a lot of that, a lot of that work. So I don't know what that title. I, you know, people ask me sometimes. You know, what do you focus on inside of HDS? I said, well, I'm kind of a utility infielder, and I go into the explanation of the things that are, that I'm working on. Um, you know, the utility infielder in baseball, they play, they've got m- multiple spots on the field, and that's th- the best way that I could describe it. But I don't know if I could put utility infielder on my business card. <laughs> that works in some countries. Yes, in Japan it would. But that's incredibly powerful, right? Like you can be somewhat of a a trusted wild card inside the business to to fill gaps as they occur, but also to be, you know, both technical and and business oriented. Um, there there really is a gap in the org chart there, Amy, that I think we fill with whatever phrase comes to mind for this week. <laughs> it's a little the island of lost children, right? And I think those jobs are necessary. This is my this is my other new theory that um, that can work if you put people if you group people of similar you know utility infielder mindset together. It depends opposed- on. Let's admit it. It depends on the company, right? It does. It does. Because culture- not not all companies. I'm not going to drop any names. I'm, I was, I'm very fortunate to be working at HDS, but I can imagine within some of our peers in the industry. There is no such thing. Well, but he, he, this is my other theory, that in an org chart, if you group together people who have kind of a one-off job title of any description, right, if they're kind of in a team together, that can work better because that, to your point earlier of working from home and working remotely works well when everyone does it. Yes. If only one person does, that becomes odd. And yes. same thing in an org chart. If you have, let's say you had three SEs reporting into somebody and one evangelist. That's going to be, you know, the, the boss manages to the three and the one person can often be um, an outlier. That's something I've been observing. But if you group together people who don't quite fit in your organization perfectly, but fit somewhere together and put them as a creative team of some sort, you end up with this amazing thing because everybody's equally one off and that becomes yep. a shared characteristic. <laughs> Absolutely. That's my new my new theory. I'm I'm watching this work really effectively in multiple situations. It's been interesting. Well, well the A team effect of enterprise technology. I love it when I a pity, plan comes together. I pity the fool. <laughs> I, I, I made a comment before that about it needs to. It depends on the company for this to work. It also it depends on the individual. And Amy, you you've made the comment before um, something about about just showing up yeah. is 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 ninety percent. Uh, of the battle and, and not just being the clock watcher, yeah. um, just showing up. I mean, it being if you want to be a utility infielder, show up, make you yourself available. Network and then the, again. The lucky thing I had is that Marianne was was really determined to make sure I was well networked across the company, so people knew what I was doing. And, and, and um, eventually, over time, 
the you know the scope and in, in, in I guess the the width of the things that I was covering expanded um, as a consequence of that. But it starts off with the right culture of the company and, and being able to show up. Nice, nice. I, that's a take home lesson right there. That's a pull quote. Let's see. Just don't ever let yourself be assigned to some sort of office of special projects or something like that. Well, that's, uh, see, that's that's that, that was me though. I, I'm guilt. That was me. I that was got you? more special projects. Like cause <laughs> I, I have never, never once at Cisco. Only at the end did I do the job that I was hired to do. It's like a running joke where my original boss was like, "Remember when you got assigned to the special projects right when you got put on my team?" I, I, <laughs> Every single time. And from it came a new and different practice within Cisco. But I was definitely uh, the pilot case. And you know how that usually goes for the first pilot. <laughs> uh, not, not doesn't fly very many missions. No. Hey, well, Greg, so maybe let's broaden it for just a second here. Uh, I mean, what are you seeing in the industry in general? You talk to a lot of people, both via your job and the podcast, Either job titles or job roles. You know what's in, what's out, what's hot, what's not. Well, I mean, obviously, there's the DevOps is hot to everybody. To me, though, seeing the end user environments, I don't think I'd want to be in DevOps these days because if you really look at, again, it depends on the individual. It depends on what they want over a period of time. But my experience is that you know the guys that are in the CIO roles are the guys that are making key decisions. DevOps are very big influencers. They are not the decision makers because – and there's a reason why. The CIO has got broader responsibilities than how fast can we get a patch out or how, how are we updating or, or, or the, 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 the scope within DevOps. The CIO has got to be able to run the business, right? That, that C-level position, they've got a different set of responsibilities than the DevOps guys. And I think there's a little bit of, of, of a disconnect to appreciate. I, let me, I mean, maybe it's, it's a fair question to ask you guys. What's the, the career trajectory for somebody that goes into DevOps today? I mean, they could be a senior manager within DevOps, but they're not going to be running the IT decisions or driving the IT decisions for the companies they're in. I just don't see how that works out. So I guess my thinking is that you want to put your if you want to have that kind of career advancement is you want to put yourself in a position where obviously you need to understand DevOps you need to work within DevOps but you also have to understand the business objectives um, and not just strictly the IT objectives which is I think the the gap between DevOps and maybe you know uh, CTO CIO roles for for most uh, companies Matt that's your end of the world any thoughts well. It, it both is and isn't, right? Like uh, DevOps is a culture that's on the trajectory towards developers, and developers are back-end developers and front-end developers. So I, I think we continue to hit a hit up on this idea that developers are all this one big bucket, and we can call them DevOps. Um, and the people that are in that space are really um, what people call operations engineers and can grow into being infrastructure managers and and possibly CTOs in the real term CTO, like the engineer type CTO. But I, I, I don't disagree with that, but I think at some point they've got to break out of that. Because to me, I've always, at least, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, what I've always seen is, is DevOps is kind of a silo in an organization. And I think 
you've got to be able to break outside of that silo to be effective long-term career. If you're, if you look, if you're not interested in management and, and moving up the, the, the ladder, um, that, that may be okay. But if you want to do that, I think you need to get out and get outside and get that business experience. You know, same is true for, you know, we talk about, you know, tech evangelists and other things, you know, you can't, you got to work outside your silo. Yeah, and you I know what, Greg, the, the, more, so, the more we Maybe change... I'm DevOps too much, but it, it's, it's just something that came to mind. So I, I probably am too nearly focusing on DevOps. But I think that's true for any career. You just don't want to be in that silo. Yeah, you're totally fair that the more we change, the more we stay the same, right? That anyone that's really good at technology tends to be really good at technology. And that doesn't give you a clear trajectory in front of you. What gives you that trajectory is an ability to apply that to a specific science or a specific need which either falls into sales or marketing or engineering or, or the, the more business side. So it, it all comes back to the same story we all, we all tell. We just happen to have different phrases along the way. Yeah, and you, and you do have to get outside your own, your own swim lane every now and then, find out how actually the business works. I, I don't think, you, John, I, I would push it a little bit further. I don't think you just kind of uh, do it occasionally. I think that's got to be part of your mindset is, is being able to work cross-organizationally, cross-functionally, across the, the teams that you're working with. Because I think that makes that, – and maybe I'm accidentally back-ending into the conversation we just had, but I think that's what makes you a utility infielder is because you have networked across multiple different silos in the organization. So yeah, yeah. risk for special projects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm, it gives you options. Yeah, I mean one, one career path is to, is to pull the ripcord and bail and become a consultant, and that's kind of what I did. Um, that was right for me. But yeah, if I was going to go and be an executive, uh, in fact, I was talking to somebody just the other day who's a community leader and a community manager and a, probably a bunch of other words he could use. And he was trying to figure out, he was, we were trying to figure out, you know, how does he become an executive? And, you know, the answer is hard. The answer is you do have to, you have to rotate, you have to do rotations. There's a reason why GE and places like that do rotations of their, of their junior executives all over the place, right? To give them a feel for what the heck's going on. What do you think the hot jobs? Is it containers? Oh, like container evangelist? Yeah. Is, that, is that the... <laughs> I think you so. need containers. Oh, man, you would get so many recruiter calls right now. Oh. <laughs> um, I think we know one of those. Job. I won't name names. I, I, you know, I don't know. You know I, don't, I, don't, I guess I really haven't... I'm not up on industry job trends. I know the things that are interesting to me hmm. that I, I, I see other folks... Um, going down and and um, yeah, I I I always love the guys that get into the hard work of cloud orchestration and architecting, mm-hmm. but that's I don't know if that's the hot I I wouldn't profess to know that to be a hot job. It's certainly one that I respect because the enormity of that responsibility and the, the amount of knowledge you have to have you know cross technologies to 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 make that work. Um, talk about unicorns that that's that's a unicorn job. Um, if I've ever seen one. Um, I think you've got a good point there because it, it requires a lot of cross-discipline. It requires a lot of curiosity. It requires a lot of team playing. It requires an understanding of the business. It absolutely does. Okay, Greg. So my favorite question. Um, so in your career path, you've, you've been this utility infielder. You've done a lot of things. So I like to ask the opposite. If you could tell somebody what they should never, ever do again in their career path, save themselves from a mistake that you have made or seen made, what would you tell them? Huh. Things not to do. Uh, well, I would certainly say don't pick your college or don't, don't pick your career while you're in college for sure. Mm. <laughs> That's a really good. <laughs> one. 
because you'll see a lot of people do that and they've pigeonholed themselves before they've ever had a real job. Um, you mean being an English major is not a real job? It's not, <laughs> I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It, to me, quite candidly, I don't think it matters what your major is, especially from the technology industry perspective. I think there's plenty, if you have an interest in technology, um, you can grow that uh, from whatever uh, background you have. Um, I know engineers don't like to hear that because they think that you have to have a <laughs> we won't co- computer science degree to, 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 to in, in this industry, and you really don't. Um, but I, I, you know, I would just if I was to to give anybody advice, that we don't necessarily you know pick your career in college, especially if you want to be in technology. Now, obviously, if you want to be a surgeon, you kind of have to. You know, <laughs> Make your Michael down. Yeah, you kind of have to focus and lock it up. But if you, I'm speaking from people that want to work in the tech industry, uh, I think it's very dangerous to, to to pick your poison in college before you know what the hell's going on and how the real world works. That's because my perception of, of the technology industry when I was in college is nothing close to what the reality is. And um, if I would have yeah, you know, I think naturally I have ADD, but if, and and was all over the spot. But if I had pinned myself down to something in college, I think I would have regretted it at this point. And, and I was fortunate enough to keep an open mind and and be easily distracted that it <laughs> <laughs> to to kind of follow a path that felt felt natural for me and create a lot of lucky opportunities. So be easily distracted. That's the well, I don't know. second poll quote here. Play, play, your, play to your strengths, right? Play, play to your strengths, but, but don't, don't have to be weaknesses. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to come out of school planning to be you know, uh, an electrical engineer or a software developer. Mm-hmm. Um, in college, you can dabble. You, I mean, obviously coming out, you got to get your first job and stuff like that, but keep an open mind and be flexible. Um, yeah, our, our careers are many decades long, right? And every decade, it's the technology shifts, the needs shift. So don't certainly don't define yourself by what you've been trained on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Let's uh let's let's make that the pull quote too. Hey, so Greg, thank you so much for coming on the show once again. I hope you guys do have a good conference. If people want to stalk you online, where can they find you? Well, if they can spell my last name just <laughs> <laughs> Or they can they can just look up speaking in tech, right? I mean, I'm easy to find out speaking in tech. Um, and obviously, if you do a Google search on Hitachi Data Systems Technology Evangelist, I think I'm the only one. <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm uh, uh, unique in that respect. Uh, but that pretty easy. Though. Well, I did just scoff, but I will link to you the correct spelling of your last name uh, in uh, in the show notes as well. Fantastic. See, now we finally know the reason I'm an English major. See. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's been another uh, fabulous speaking in tech. Oh, wait a minute. It's been another fabulous Geek Whispers. Oh. <laughs> See, trying to take over our podcast. This is a stop. <laughs> now John's trying to get, get in a piece of the action as well. I thought it was just Amy. John Lennon Boyer. Yeah. <laughs> We're working on it. Anyway, thank you once again for uh, listening to us on uh, Geek Whispers. We'll be back next time. You've been listening to the Geek Whisperers podcast, where we bring social media and community to enterprise IT. You can listen to all the episodes at our website, geek-whisperers.com, or check us out on Twitter, Facebook, or iTunes. Your hosts were John Mark Troyer, Amy Lewis, and Matthew Brender, better known on Twitter as Jay Troyer, Comms Ninja, and MJ Brender. See you next week.
stumbling into another yet another week. <laughs> am, I, am I your first repeat offender, or have you had other repeaters? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think we've I think we've hit that. I think uh, I think that's good. I don't know. Have we finished with that topic? <laughs> <laughs>